Philippians chapter 1. We're going to jump in this morning and uh, with this section in Romans chapter 1 through 3. That's the section that we read um, this week, and I'm excited to point out some things in this section. Romans chapter 1 happens to be one of those challenging sections in the New Testament. We sang a song this morning that Jesus is the lion and the lamb. And that was a fitting song this morning because this morning we're going to read a section in Romans chapter 1 and into chapter 2 where Jesus is declared really as the lamb, or as the lion, I'm sorry. Uh, We think of the lamb as that loving, gracious, huggable, soft part of God, right? This morning we're going to talk about the lion, the one who's in charge, the one who's the king of the jungle, the one who usurps his authority to everyone around the world. See, the letter to Romans is about the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus crucified and risen to set me free. The gospel is that God has done this amazing thing for us as people. In other words, if, if the gospel is that I must need to be set free, then, then I must be a slave to something. And that's true. I'm, I'm a slave to my selfishness. And if We often refer to Jesus as our Savior. That must mean that I need to be saved from something, and that's true too. I need to be saved from myself. I need to be saved from the world that doesn't honor God. See, Jesus wants us to live free, and God desires relationship with us. And this section of verses, while it will be challenging and difficult, will notice that what God desires more than anything else is relationship with us, even in a context where you and I make it difficult to be in relationship with him. See, the gospel is the truth that God is setting us free and showing how much he wants relationship with us. But if we're gonna understand the heart of the gospel, we must understand some deep things about God that are in Romans 1, 18 through verse four in chapter two. So I'm gonna read them for us. I know that it's a good section this morning, but I wanna read it and then launch into some deep things this morning as we talk. Romans 1 verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual immorality for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men 
and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? I think we should start every letter like that to our friends. <laughs> Way to go, Paul. Wow, just come right out. Both barrels blasting, right? Here's what's interesting. While this may be one of the more challenging sections in Scripture, it reveals some very truthful things to us. One, it reveals to the state of mankind when we just walk away from God. It also reveals that those of us that have not walked away have no right to point a finger at anybody because we do the same thing. It reveals to us the only one who can pass judgment is God himself, not us. And it reveals to us that we should fall upon the kindness and the goodness of God in our lives every day of our life. I want to talk about four things this morning that I think are a part of the gospel and important in this section of scripture. Here they are. God's existence and importance in our lives, the fact that everyone is broken, that everyone is accountable to God, and lastly, everyone can be free through faith in Jesus. Now, I want us to look at these four things, and I'm just going to give us a little glimpse into each one, and then that'll give you an opportunity to chew on it a little bit deeper throughout the week, dive into it in greater detail, and study it deeply. The first thing we need to understand is God's existence and importance in our lives. If we're going to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and why he came, we must understand that God wants relationship with us, that he is real, that he exists, and he is extremely important in our life. And Paul goes into great detail of this throughout the book of Romans, but especially here in chapter 1, because we have such a propensity as humanity to go our own selfish way and push God out of our lives instead of drawing him into our lives. See, these verses express what, what you and I do in our relationship with God. In fact, Paul says there are specific things that we do that hurt our relationship with God. He actually gave four of them right in this section. In verse 21, he said, although we know God, we neither glorify him as God nor give him thanks. There are moments where we don't say thank you to God when we should. And there are moments where we don't say, God, this is all you're doing, not ours. 
In verse 25, it says, we exchange the truth about God for a lie. Sometimes we just choose to live in a lie instead of in the goodness of God. And we just randomly, and sometimes we do that in just randomly. Sometimes we do it on purpose. Also in verse 25, it says, we worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And remember that that word worship? It just means whatever I make more important than God. If I make sports more important than God, then I worship sports. If I make my car more important, then I'm worshiping my car. If I make a different relationship more important than God, then that relationship is my God. It just means whatever is more important than God, that's what I'm worshiping. And then the last thing in verse 28, we said, we we do not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. That's a tough spot to put ourselves in. Let me present it to you in in a different way, in maybe a more modern illustration. I I think it would be interesting to find out what would happen if, if you went to work one day, walked up to the owner of the business that you worked for, and treated him or her like we treat God. Let me get, for, for instance, you, you walk into work and you're really steamed. And so you walk up to the owner of the business and you say, hey, listen, we need to talk for a minute. I, I got four problems with you as an owner. Number one, I'm not thankful for you. I'm not thankful for you. I'm not thankful for your business. I'm not thankful for the paycheck you give me that feeds my family and pays for my car and gives me a roof over my house and helps me love my hobbies. I'm not thankful for any of that. I'm not thankful for the financial investment that you've made into this business. That's number one. Number two, I don't think you should be the boss. Number three, I'm going to start telling all my friends and family and everyone that I know that our competitors' products are better than your products. And number four, I think your ideas and ways of running a business are just stupid. I think I'd be better at it. I think Jim would be better at it. I think Sarah would be better at it. I just wanted you to know those things. I think that'd be an interesting social experiment. And I wonder if I would have a job anymore. But in essence, that's exactly what we've done to God. That's exactly what we've done to God. Now, what's God's response to all of this behavior towards him? You would think he'd be pretty upset. But God has an interesting response. And verse 24 and verse 26 and verse 28, it tells us God's response. And there's a phrase that he uses. It says, God gave them over to the desires of their heart, the sinful desires of their heart. God gave them over to shameful lust. God gave them over to a depraved mind. It's interesting. This phrase, God gave them over, he uses three times. And what does that mean, God gave them over? It means this, simply. God doesn't control you. He's not interested in controlling you. He's interested in a real, authentic relationship with you. And real, authentic relationships are not controlled by one person or another. There's mutual love and mutual care and mutual concern for one another. And so what this says is that God's not going to force you to do what you don't want to do. If you want to go your own way, the Bible says God's going to say, okay, go ahead. I'm going to continue to communicate with you the goodness that I want in your life, and I'm going to continue to show you how much I love you. But that's how a relationship works, and God knows that. He's not going to force you to love him. 
He knows that he needs to let you choose and me choose to love him on our own. Now, this is all a part of our lives because you and I are created in the image of God. And because we're created in the image of God, God placed something in us that nothing else in all of creation has, and that's choice. Now, how do I know that? Here's how I know that. Your dentist is not a turtle. Your doctor is not an elephant. The best basketball player in the world, even though it would be awesome, is not a giraffe because they have no choice. And they have no thumbs. That's true, too. That would be very helpful to dunk a basketball. We have choice because we're created in the image of God. But here's what's interesting. God will not violate that choice. He doesn't violate it. And so when we say, God, I don't want you, he says, okay, let's see how that works. But God also knows that there must be, at some point, accountability for that. We'll get to that in a minute, but that's part of God's justice. Because God is just, he can't just let everything go. And so in the end, Paul says, God's wrath will be revealed. Now, even though God has done everything for us, taken care of us, gone to the cross for us, left heaven and come here and died for us to prove his love for us, he still lets, our do our, do, lets us do our own thing. And I have to tell you, that's crazy grace. That is crazy love that God would say, here's everything I've done for you, but I'm still gonna let you have choice. So we must understand that God is true, that God exists, and he is important in our lives. Second, we must understand that everyone is broken. We're all broken. All of us have gone our own way. We end up broken. We end up with societies that manifest that brokenness towards one another as we don't do what God desires for us. In Romans 3, verse 9, later, Paul says, for we already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin, that all of us have gone astray, that all of us are stuck in this, this cycle of our own selfish decision to go our own way instead of to trust God. Now, it's interesting, Paul, he, he gives us a list of brokenness <laughs> that we partake in regularly as we walk away from God. It's a list of things that we do. But he began, interestingly, by talking about sexual sin. And he takes some extra time to talk about sexual sin. And it's always interesting that he does that. He does that not just in Romans. He does it in Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians. And he does it all over. And, and there's an interesting reason for that. The interesting reason is that sexual sin had permeated the Roman Empire. It had infiltrated everything in the Roman Empire to the fact that everything was about sex, and it began to dominate everything in the culture. Now, luckily, that hasn't happened today. <laughs> right. I want to use this subject of sex just for a minute and our desire for it as an example of what happens, and that's what Paul does too, as an example of what happens in every area of our life when we don't surrender it to the Holy Spirit. Let me start with a question. There's lots of ways that we can disobey God. Paul gave us a whole list of them. But why does, 
Why is sexual sin what humanity always gravitates towards? Have you noticed that? I mean, humanity, we just gravitate so easily towards sexual sin. You ever wondered why? I know why. Because it's fun. It's true. Think about it with me. The reason we always gravitate towards sexual sin as societies, it's enjoyable, it's pleasing, and it's fun. The other sins, they don't have the intense pleasure connected to them like sex does. When you get done having sex or in the middle of sex, it is a very pleasurable thing that God designed for us when we are married. That doesn't happen when I lie about someone. When I'm lying about something, I'm not having this intense, euphoric moment of pleasure emotionally and physically. That's not happening. I'm just lying. I'm just gossiping. I'm just stealing. There's not this this pleasurable moment where I'm like, oh, this is so awesome, right? It's not happening. That's why sexual sin is the easiest for us to just kind of fall into as people. And by the way, this is why God says, I want you to wait until you're married to have sex. Because God knows once you taste of this amazing, awesome gift that he has for man and woman, it will be really hard to stop. But the best part is in marriage, you don't have to stop. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul actually says, don't deny each other's sexual pleasure in marriage. Stop denying one another the pleasure of sex because this is a great gift that God has given you in marriage and because sex out in the world is out of control and God doesn't want you to get caught up in that sexual brokenness. So he says, actually, when you get married, don't stop, just have fun. That's why I gave it to you. This is a great gift for you. And we should all say... Amen. That's right. That, that was a really lousy amen for one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us. Should we try again? Yeah, that, we're still not there yet, but whatever. Um, we'll have to move on. Here's another section, a question. Why is sex such a craved-after activity? I was praying about this that this week, just thinking about how it permeates culture. and Why, why, does it, why is it such a craved-after activity? And I feel, felt like the Holy Spirit really gave me an answer to this. We are created by God as relational beings. That's, that's who we are. We want relationship. We crave relationship because we're created in the image of God. And God himself is relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He is an eternal relationship, and he created us. And so inside of every single one of us is this desire and a void and a fulfillment and a pleasure of wanting to be in relationship. And here's what I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, so listen closely, that sex is a relational high. That's what it is. Sex is the moment where you and I connect with someone of the opposite sex in marriage, and we get exactly what we need. We get exactly what we want. And God did that on purpose. But used improperly, sex can have challenges because we want to have sex because we want that relational high. We want to belong. We want to feel loved. We want to feel valued. So we desire the intimacy that we feel with another person because we are relational at the core of our being. And God says, I want that for you. I want you to feel loved, valued, intimate, 
like belonging in a relationship, but I want that relationship to be secure and committed and lifelong. That's why I want you to wait for that commitment of marriage. See, when we have sex outside of marriage, there's a void that happens. There's this void that happens. I've always found it interesting. Outside of marriage, a void happens. It causes pain and fear and jealousy. There's an incomplete intimacy that happens, and it perpetuates that you are not valuable. I've always thought it interesting that in a culture now that believes anything goes, and I can have sex with anyone, anywhere, anytime, why are we getting upset that I do that with someone else on you? If I'm in a relationship with you and our culture says I can have sex with anyone and we're kind of this open sexual community, then why are you hurt when I leave you and go have sex with somebody else? We're in this open society, right? Why does it hurt you? Because you, you, inside you, you want relationship. I want security. I want commitment. I want value. I want to know that I'm special and that requires commitment. And when that doesn't happen, that commitment's not there. That sexual high has a letdown as that person walks out the door and out of your life without saying you are special enough to commit my life to. And that's what God wants. See, sex outside of marriage is that relational high. You get the high, but only for a moment during the act of sex. And then there is the relational uh, value is gone because you have to go find that somewhere else with another partner so you can get that relational high again. And that becomes the cycle that Paul talks about in Romans chapter one. A cycle where you and I, outside of God's design for us, are longing for that relational high just for a moment. And the problem with that is God intended for that to happen for a lifetime. So we sacrifice for a moment what God wants for a lifetime. Now, that's not good that everyone is broken, but it is good news that Jesus came to fix that. And it is good news that God has plans for us to be free. It is good news that God gives us a way to understand healthy relationship in every single area of our life. Now, by the way, what I just described to you can happen in every single cycle of sin that we get ourselves in. It's not just a sexual cycle. It's a sin cycle. So I can get in that same cycle with stealing. I can get a high from stealing. And so Pastor Mark's sticking candy bars in his pocket at Maverick all the time and walking out the door. I mean, what? We don't want that. It's a good candy bar, but it ain't that good. The third thing we discover is everyone's accountable to God. We're all broken. We're all accountable to God. Now, Paul will make this argument over and over again through Romans. It's actually a big argument that he makes all throughout the entire book. But in chapters 1 through 3, he mentions it several times. Let me look at them with you together. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. See, creation is the proof of God's existence. I was once on a hike with someone, and uh, I was walking slower than the person behind me. They caught up to me, and I said, oh, hey, how you doing? Strike up a conversation. And this guy said, man, I've had a tough week. I just had to come out here and hug a tree. 
I feel so much better when I get out here and hug a tree. I don't know what it is. There's just something about hugging a tree that just makes me feel great. And I said, would you like to talk about why hugging a tree out here on this mountaintop makes you feel great? He's like, sure. You know why? I know exactly why. Why? Because when you hug that tree, you hug a creation of your heavenly father. And when you get out in nature, you don't even know it, do you, why you love it so much. But the reason you like it so much is because the void inside of you is longing for a relationship with your heavenly father and with your savior, Jesus. If you connected with him, man, your nature walks would really get cool. So I talked to him about Jesus for a minute, and he walked on, and I walked on, and maybe he'll be in heaven sometime. We'll see. Now, we don't have time to dive into the deep end of the pool, but let me just say this for a moment about creation. If you were God's enemy, you're the enemy of God, and you're the enemy of mankind, and you want to turn all humanity away from relationship with God, then the best place to start is to take away the fact that the earth and everything in it is created by God. That's the first place you would start. And that's why God, that's why the enemy of your soul and mine and of the world loves evolution so much and wants to perpetuate it in our education system. Romans 2 verse 6 says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Romans 3.19, after a long dialogue about Jews and Gentiles, Paul says this, and the whole world held accountable to God. See, we know that one day you and I will stand before the Lord and we will be accountable to him for everything we've done and everything we've said. But what does that mean for us today? I want you to think about something with me just for a moment. And I want you to think about how you respond to your own sin today. Does it bother you when you disappoint God? Does it bother you when you say something mean, when you're rude to someone, when you don't honor God like you should, or you believe a lie instead of following the truth? Does it hurt your heart that you've created a problem in your relationship with him? See, that's something that's, I think, really important for us. We have to get to this place where we understand that my, the most important relationship in my life is God. And I don't want to disappoint him. I want to be in relationship with him, and I love him, and, and I want to be in good relationship with him all the time. We're accountable to God for everything, and that means we've got to have a good handle on our brokenness and on the things that each of us knows our propensities to brokenness. Each of us have them, and they're all different, and they're all varied, but each of us have things in our life that pull us away from God, and some are stronger and some are weaker. But sin, this brokenness inside of us, it's kind of like a rattlesnake that you're holding in your hand. Have you ever held a rattlesnake in your hand? Nope, probably not. But think of that for a moment. Think of a rattlesnake in your hand. And here's the, here's the example. We either have a stranglehold on the snake's neck in my hand so that it can't bite me, or I'm holding it with an open hand, and I treat it like a pet. Oh, nice little rattlesnake. <laughs> the problem is, right, 
At some point, that snake is going to strike me, and there's death in its bite. And so God's word is clear. What Paul is saying is, have a stranglehold on your sin. This is in your life, whether you like it or not. Until you get to heaven, this is in your life. It's in our world. It's in my personal life. And I'm working out how to live for Jesus while I'm still a sinner. So I'm going to have a stranglehold on this sucker. It doesn't control me. I control it. That's how we need to treat our sin. Because we know we're accountable to God. And then lastly, the gospel is a reminder that everyone can be free through faith in Jesus. Everyone can be free through faith in Jesus. Now, we think about freedom a little differently than God does. We think about freedom very differently than God does. We think freedom is, don't tell me what to do. Let me do whatever I want. That's what we think freedom is. But God thinks freedom is living life with purposeful boundaries in our lives so we minimize pain and brokenness and we're free to live in the goodness of God. That's how God sees freedom, that we can live in his goodness, but he also knows we live in a broken and sinful world that is always against the goodness of God and therefore we need to live life a little bit differently. And let me finish my moment here with an illustration. I want to show you a slide. So I'm going to ask Felicia to throw that first slide up there for me. Here's life in the middle of the screen. This is us, and, and this is how we live life. But here's how God wants us to live life. He wants us to live life with the boundaries of God's word in our life, with God's word, with Jesus' teaching, the Bible, Scripture, all, all phrases and words that we use to, to define the Bible, God's word in our life. And what God asks us to do is to make God's word the boundary for our life. And as we do that, there are things that naturally become a part of our life as we keep the world out and as we focus on what God has for us. Commitment becomes a part of our life, security, authenticity, trust and joy, provision. We learn what true value and identity is we, we learn the truth about all things. We're protected. There's sexual purity there. There's authenticity in all of my relationships. There's eternal life for those that live this way. There's grace and purpose and peace. All of these things are a part of our life when we have the boundaries of God's word protecting us from the world, but also keeping all of those good things in my life. They're keeping the, the struggles of the world out of my life, but it's also keeping these good things in my life. This is the way that God desires for us to live so we are free. And we're free from the things in our life that cause problems. Now, but what we often say, like Romans 1 says, what is, we want to ignore God. We want, we, we'd rather exchange a lie for the truth of God, and so we think life can be lived like this. This is just life. This is it. This is life. This is great. This is awesome. This is good. I don't have any of those things. I don't have to be committed to God. I don't have to walk in purity. I don't have to trust God. This is awesome. This is how life is going to be. Isn't that great? But here's the problem. We know that's not what happens, is it? That's not what happens. The next slide shows what happens when we ignore God. Here's what happens. What happens in my life? 
I get stuck with all these other things. Hatred in my heart, disrespect for all authority in my life, confusion, that's my big word for the world today. We're confused about everything. There's worry and depression and, and suicide all in my life. There's political unrest, sexual frustration. I have disdain for authority. There's greed and, and there's stealing and abuse and war and sexual slavery and anxiety. All of these things are a part of our world when we ignore God, aren't they? And now I'm stuck in this place. Now, the illustration's not perfect because even as the people of God who want to live in the boundaries of God, we can also at one point or another live outside the boundary and then we get stuck here, don't we? Or the world is always trying to attack us and sometimes we, we just let the world in too much and we end up stuck in one of these as well. Let me give you an example. Murder. Murder's an example. Did you know and by the way, this is not a political statement. I'm not making a political statement. But did you know, since we've defunded the police in our society, that in every major city, murder rate has been up 200 to 400% in those cities. Now, that's not a political statement. You know what that's a statement of? A culture that says, I want no boundaries and I want no authority. Now, here's what's weird. Here's what's weird about what's happening. I thought... When we removed the police and removed that authority, this is what I thought. I thought we would start loving one another better. I thought we'd be more peaceful. I thought we would care for our neighbors more. I thought we would stop stealing. I, I, that's what I was thinking. Wasn't that what you were thinking? That's because Romans 1 is true, and God knows it. And God will hold all of us accountable to this. He will hold all of us accountable to the fact that when we ignore him, we hurt ourselves and we hurt one another. And that's never what God intended for us. But that is why he came. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus came to earth, died on a cross, and rose again that you and I might be free. That we could live in the goodness of God. Now here's the good news. In the midst of all this trouble that we can create, God says, I've given you a way out. I've given you a way to live powerfully in the goodness of God if you want it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you that you give us choice. What an amazing thing to think that the God of the universe who created us, who is all-powerful and all-knowing, would say, here's your life. It's yours. You can do whatever you want with it. Now, God also says, my hope is that along the way, you will notice me. You'll notice me in creation. You'll notice me in your friends. You'll notice me in your family. You'll see me in a brand new baby child. You'll see me as someone passes away and can't wait to see Jesus. You'll see me in all these ways and all these things on the planet as I do miracles and as I fulfill my promises. 
And there will be moments along the way in your life where God will just say, here I am. I love you. I want what's best for you. Even though you might be living your own way right now, I want you to know I'm here. I exist. I'm real. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I want relationship with you. If you're here this morning and you're just hearing the sound of my voice and you would say right now, Pastor Mark, that's where I'm at. I want relationship with God and I recognize that I've been not wanting that at all, but this morning I recognize I need him and I want him. If that's you this morning and you just want to say, Jesus, I want you to know I want relationship with you, would you just do God a favor? Just, just raise your hand right where you're at and say, Jesus, here I am. I want relationship with you. Would you see my hand? Would you see my life? Would you see me and say, I want to say yes to you. I want relationship with you. Lord, we give you thanks this morning. We give you praise that what you're doing in the world is awesome. Lord, I want to pray right now for each of us in this room, those of you watching me live, I pray for us because as soon as we walk out of these doors, we enter a battlefield where the things of God are not honored or glorified or thanked. So Lord, we're entering that place. We're en- that's the life that we live in in the nation that we are growing up and living in. Lord, would you give us the strength and the power by your Holy Spirit to obey you, to honor you with our lives, to make sure that every action and every word and every decision we make honors you. Our life is is at stake. Our eternal life is at stake. And also the lives of those around us that are watching, that know we're Christians and, and they're watching, they're wanting to see is that relationship with Jesus, everything you say it is, because there's a void in me. And I think I want that too, but I need to see it in you first. Lord, help us be people that are living out the relationship of Jesus with courage and boldness and joy and love and peace. Lord, that we would be the people of God that present life in Christ to the world that way. We give you thanks and praise for what you do in our lives. And we honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for coming this morning. We had a great time. Don't forget, your VBS kits are out in the commons if you want one. And you can make your own torch even, if you'd like, and light it at your house. That'd be great, all right?